The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's the end of chapter 6. We go on into chapter 7. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Verse 5, Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and, the, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word, and we ask you to bless it, that you would cause your Holy Spirit to teach us, even as Jesus said, that he would send the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who would teach us and lead us into all truth. We pray that you would give us ongoing insight and wisdom to help us stand firm in these last days as we study this passage in Revelation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in, starting here in verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Now, right now, we're, what we see going on in our world and even right here in our own country is this incredible inequity. We have the uh, power elites. You know, we have big tech. We have Amazon and Google and Twitter and all this garbage. And they have tremendous power and influence. In fact, uh, there's been a lot of research done just over the past couple months. We know there was a lot of abnormalities and inequities in this election. And one of the big players was big tech. They censored anything positive about the president. They censored all the conservative commentary. And they only put forth the narrative that they wanted to be put forth. And that alone, not even counting all the illegality, the fake phony ballots and uh, flipping of votes and all that, they estimated that at least, uh, if I remember correctly, it could be more, but at least 6% of the votes were skewed to Biden just because of the interference of big tech and the mainstream media. 
That alone wouldn't have been enough to switch the results. And that's just one of many key elements. My point is this. Notice here in Revelation, when the wrath of God begins to be poured out upon this earth, it really levels the playing field. You've seen too also, now in the aftermath of the uh, fake riots in Washington, D.C. And by the way, as you know, I was there. And every day more and more evidence is coming out that it was pre-planned that it was actually Antifa and BLM that staged the riots. And then they sucked a few of the Trump supporters in, kind of egging them on, leading the way. But it was primarily a left-wing assault on the Capitol. But who are they blaming? Every mainstream media outlet, every liberal left-leaning politician, and even some who are supposed to be on the conservative side, they're all blaming President Trump and his supporters. And now they're now banning people. Some people have been put on the no-fly list. People have lost their jobs because friends watching the videos at the Capitol saw their friends there, not necessarily as part of that assault, but just there peacefully demonstrating all outside that Capitol area. I was there. Majority of them were very peaceful, very loving, very gentle, just wanting to make their voices heard, waving their flags and so forth. Well, friends and relatives even identified these people through the videos and then turned them in. Did you know the Bible says that that would happen in the last days? That sons and daughters would turn against their mothers and fathers and vice versa? That's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany, by the way. And many of these other totalitarian regimes where they put such fear in the hearts of the people that people actually begin to turn on their own family and friends. It's happening right now in the United States of America. Having said all that, notice what happens here in the tribulation when God begins to pour out His wrath. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the Democrats. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, it's not in there. And again, there's Republicans that aren't so great either. So it really comes down. And I've, I've been watching a number of the more of the underground type bloggers, vloggers, commentators that will give you information you can't get on the mainstream media. And a lot of them have been saying the same thing I've been saying for quite a while. This is not about Democrat and Republican. It's not even about Trump and Biden. It's about good versus evil. And I'm not the only one saying that by a long shot. So it's about good versus evil, God versus Satan. Notice. They all hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Regardless of rank, power, position, standing, all the inhabitants of the earth will be in great fear as a result of these cataclysmic events. I want to go back and read verses 12 through 14 because those are the events that lead us up to this point here in verse 15. Verse 12, I looked, John says, when he opened the sixth seal, Jesus opens the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sass cloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll. And again, as I mentioned last week, there's a lot of descriptive language here that sounds an awful lot like a nuclear confrontation, and even... Uh, the, the stars 
fell to the, to the earth. Now, yeah, there are going to be some celestial things happening. But again, as we mentioned last week, I believe, if you're John living in the first century, you know nothing about the kind of military arsenal that we have today. No knowledge of nu- any kind of weapon like that, let alone a nuclear weapon. And you saw all this stuff happening, it would look like stars falling from the sky. It'll probably be all of the above, to tell you the truth. Then the sky receded as a scroll, just like a nuclear explosion. When it rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, this is going to be a worldwide cataclysmic event. And as a result, all these people, the kings, the great men, the rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. God is going to level the playing field for all those who are frustrated, irritated, upset, anxious, bummed out, burned out. God's going to level the playing field. Because as we've mentioned also, I believe, last week, only God is the one who can truly mete out justice. We live in an unjust world because we live in a fallen world where all human beings are fallen. And probably the best government, best nation in the history of the world has been the United States of America. But when the United States of America stopped following God and His Word, then justice went down the tubes. But God is going to mete out justice in the very near future. So they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the faith of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now this is really interesting. Notice. Why are these people on the earth? Why are they experiencing these things? Because they had rejected God. Right? The believers will be caught up in the rapture. Those left behind, some will come to Christ. Many, I think, will come to Christ, but they will be martyred. But having come to Christ, they would not have fear of these events. They would recognize these events are foretold in the Scriptures. But the ungodly, the wicked, and yet... What, the, what are they saying here? Hide, from, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The fact that the inhabitants of the earth attribute these events to the hand of God may indicate that these phenomena are supernatural in origin versus natural, like Sodom and Gomorrah. But regardless of the source or the origin, God is totally in control and running the show. And even those who have rejected him now recognize that it's his wrath being poured out upon them. Very interesting. For the great day, verse 17, of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The great day of his wrath has come. And we've talked about this before, too. There's a difference between uh, trials, tribulations. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Not the tribulation, but just tribulation in a general sense that... Just because we are born again, spirit-filled followers of Christ doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us in this world. And it's always been like that. Ever since Cain slew Abel, believers have been persecuted. Okay, But we have examples in the Scriptures where God's wrath... See, God's, the Bible says we're not appointed to suffer wrath. Believers... Because wrath is reserved for the wicked, for the ungodly, for those who reject God. 
Noah's flood is an example of God's wrath. And what happened with the faithful? It was only Noah and his family, but what happened? They were preserved, they were protected, right? God's wrath was poured out on an unbelieving world, and amazingly, there were only eight people who survived. You look at Sodom. Here we have Lot and his family. The only ones that survived that were Lot and his two daughters. That was an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked place, a place called Sodom. Again, the believers were taken out of the city. The angel said, we will not destroy the city till Lot and his family are removed. Lot's wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. Probably as a result of the fire and brimstone rained down from heaven by God. But there's also something to think about there as well. There are people in the church, in the body of Christ, who may be tempted to look back, look back at their previous life. And you know, it's funny, in spite of all the bad things that happen while we're out there trying to have fun, right? Uh, go for the gusto, sow our wild oats, all that stuff, right? When you initially get delivered, when you come to Christ, when you're born again, you realize, wow, man, what all that garbage in my life. It was horrible. It almost destroyed me. The drugs, the alcohol, the illicit sex, you name it, the pornography, it's all destructive, right? And yet as time goes on, and yeah, as believers, we do experience trials, tribulations, difficulties. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we faint not. Nobody ever said being a believer was the easy way. It's the narrow path. Few there be that enter therein. Broad is the gate. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. And so you get weary. The, the, the beating that we take in this life, even as believers. And you begin to look back. And you don't remember all the bad stuff. It's kind of faded away. It's kind of the way we're made. We're, we're built to kind of filter out that stuff because it can become so overwhelming. That's why people get depressed. They get discouraged. They get downcast because all they focus on is the difficulties, the bad stuff, the negative. But again, at the same time, our, the way we're made, we have ability to filter out a lot of that so that we can move on with life and continue on and, and not be discouraged and not be downcast. But the downside of that is we tend to forget the bad stuff. Just like the children of Israel, remember? They, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they remembered all the great, you know, the leeks and the onions and, you know, all the great stuff there. Really? You were in slavery for over 400 years. You were oppressed and beat down by the Egyptians. But all you remember is how great the food was. But that's how we tend to be. Lot's wife looked back. We're living in a time right now, folks, like never before. We cannot afford to look back. Jesus said, having put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Because if you do, 
you're not fit for the kingdom of God. We cannot look back. The devil would love to have us look back and remember all the so-called good stuff, the fun stuff, but it's a lie. It's not reality. So here they say, the great day of his wrath has come. Who's able to stand? You know the expression, there are no atheists in foxholes? So here are all these atheists, these people who've rejected God, and so they've been left here on planet Earth to suffer through the tribulation, and yet they're acknowledging him now. But the belief of people who only acknowledge God in the midst of great trial and tribulation fades very quickly away after tragedy begins to subside. Have you noticed that? 9-1-1, oh, people were going back to church. We saw these God bless America signs everywhere. Didn't last very long. These people are acknowledging God's existence begrudgingly, not gladly, begrudgingly. And again, those who only turn to God in the midst of great trial and tribulation but forget about him when things are going well. I guess on earthly terms, we call that a fair-weather friend, don't we? But it's just the opposite here. It's only when things are bad that they turn to God, and when things are good, they forget all about him. Anyway, verse 1 of chapter 7. After these things, after the opening of the fifth and sixth seals that we saw in chapter 6, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, Perhaps four of the more powerful, high-ranking angels. Perhaps Gabriel, Michael would be in this mix. But they might be those who were given authority over other angels in the four quadrants of the earth. That's how God seems to view our planet, in four quadrants. Now there's a coming. This has already been lined out by the globalists. Ten divisions of the earth. There will be one ultimate leader in control, the Antichrist, and then ten others under him, controlling various parts of the world in this one world global government but God sees it as a quadrant got one angel assigned to each of the four quadrants just as Satan has a hierarchy of demonic entities Ephesians 6 12 we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places so God has his Rankings within the angelic community, if you will. Again, guys like Gabriel, Michael being at the top of the angelic food chain, if you will. But Satan also has his rankings. Remember, Daniel talked about the prince of Persia, and it wasn't an earthly prince. It was a demonic entity that was over that region of Persia. Even as God has his mighty angels all over the globe, guardian angels for his people. Satan has his demonic entities, fallen angels, assigned to different parts of the world. And as we've talked about this before, you can go into an area and kind of sense those kinds of beings present, some areas seeming to be more oppressed than others. I've shared how I used to experience that when I would when I lived in Colorado, before we moved to New Mexico, I would drive down here because we were helping another guy plant a church here. And whenever I would cross the Colorado border into New Mexico, I felt this heaviness come over me. 
Now, Colorado has since gone dark as well. But one of the areas that I've always felt had an incredible amount of demonic oppression was the state of Florida. Because I've observed over the years some of the horrible things that have taken place down there. So again, we see these pockets of demonic activity. And again, these are areas where there doesn't seem to be as strong of a Christian believing presence in some cases. Anyway, that's a deep subject. I'm not going to go any deeper. But God has his angelic army, the army of hosts. Satan has his demonic army, if you will. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. This seems to indicate a momentary pause in the tumult and chaos which has been unleashed on the earth. This holding back of the wind. A period of calm before the storm, as it were, before the next onslaught. Verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So notice, God is in complete control. Even though there's this emerging one world government under the Antichrist, the uh, false prophet, the number two man, Antichrist's right-hand man, one world government, one world economy, one world religion, God is still calling the shots. And so these angels are ones that he has given permission to harm the earth and the sea, but it's being held back right now. And he says, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So there's a, there's a lull in the action, if you will. The angels holding back the wind. The implication here is that the earth, the sea, and the trees will be harmed once the sealing of God's servants is completed. It's being held back, but once the sealing of the 144,000 is completed, then the onslaught will continue. Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads, this is in direct contrast to the beast, the mark of the beast, but God has his mark as well. Revelation 13, 16, he causes all, this is the Antichrist, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand of their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except who has the mark or the name of the beast or the vaccination, oh, excuse me, or the number of his name. They had, um, it was either 23 or 27, I forget the exact number, people in Norway die after receiving the vaccination. Multiple reports of people going into convulsions, all kinds of things. I'm not a medical doctor, but I am a believer in God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm not alone. There are many others that share my belief that there's a lot more going on here than just getting a little shot. Watch J.D. Farag. And we're already moving. They're talking about mandatory. In fact, in California, I believe it's L.A. County, every child will be required to take the vaccine 
before they can go back to school. And J.D. talks about this on his video, how, in fact, somebody in the church just encountered this where they thought they were going to be forced to take the vaccine or lose their job. You see how our, the rights and the freedoms that we were granted by our founding fathers are gradually, not even gradual anymore, it's becoming more and more rapid, are being stripped away from us. You can't get on an airplane if you don't have the vaccination. They already have, I know at very least Singapore Airlines has what they call a vaccine passport. And I, there may be other airlines that have done this now, I'm not sure, but that's what they're moving towards. And again, they're, they're fine if you don't want to, take the vaccine and you don't want to get the vaccination passport and therefore you won't be able to fly, the powers that be are perfectly fine with that because the more they can keep you in one spot and keep an eye on you and control you, the happier they're going to be. What if you couldn't even renew your driver's license? I mean, it's all going, you know, we all know where it's going. It's moving towards Revelation 13. No one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. I'm telling you, there's some powerful evidence in that video. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the devil has his mark. But God has his mark. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee. That if you put your faith in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for your sins, you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're marked with God's mark. That's the mark I want. Verse 4, I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So we have a very specific number here. 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. So these are Jewish believers. Obviously, they're sealed. They're born-again Jewish believers from each of the 12 tribes. So most likely, part of the phenomenon that we will see as we watch from heaven, as the tribulation unfolds, there will be many conversions to Christ and many people will lose their heads. But we already see more and more Jewish people coming to Christ every day. It's an ongoing thing. I met a number of Messianic believers there in Israel when I was over there more than once. And there are some Messianic churches there. I attended a couple of them. It's really awesome to see Jewish Christians worshiping right alongside their Gentile brothers and sisters. We've read through the tribes. I won't do that again. Verses 5 through 8. Now it's interesting because today, most Jews have no idea which tribe that they're from. That's all gotten jumbled and lost over the last 2,000 years of 
diaspora, the Jews being dispersed all over the planet, many of them intermarrying with Gentiles. But God knows every one of them, doesn't he? And he's going to call out, mark, seal, anoint these 144,000. But note, I don't know if you notice this, it's kind of a subtle thing, but there are two tribes not mentioned here, Ephraim and Dan. And yet we still have 12 tribes, and I'll, I'll explain why. The tribes of Ephraim and Dan degenerated into such extreme idolatry that they were removed from the list by God. Now, Joseph, because of how God so mightily used him to deliver his people from famine, from starvation, by having his brothers sell him into slavery. Remember the story of Joseph? They sold him to the Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs, who were traveling through, tradesmen, merchants. They sold their brother to them. They, in turn, sold him to Potiphar in Egypt. He became the slave or servant of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to put the moves on Joseph. You remember the story, right? Then she turns it around. Of course, it's a good thing we don't have those kind of situations today. He's thrown in jail. First, he's thrown in the pit by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. Reuben talked him out of it and said, let's just sell him and get some money. He'll still be gone. So then he's in jail again. You know the story. On and on it goes. Ultimately, he's exalted to the number two ruler in the land of Egypt by God's hand. So sometimes when things don't go our way, we should remember what happened to Joseph. You know, if God be for us, who can be against us? And God can deliver us out of any situation. So God ultimately uses Joseph to deliver his people. So in turn, Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, are each given a place among the 12 tribes. So Joseph's one tribe becomes two. Now the Levites were not included because the Levites were the priests. They didn't have their own section of land in the land of, of Israel. All the tribes were apportioned a section of land except the Levites. The Levites lived among the people in all of the other regions because they were the priests. However, Ephraim, one of the sons of Joseph, engaged in horrible idolatry, as did the tribe of Dan. And so when we see the list here in Revelation, Joseph is back on the list, Ephraim is removed, and also the tribe of Levi is included. Did you follow me with all that? So that's why we have 12 tribes, and yet Ephraim and Dan are not there. They're replaced by Joseph and Levi. So basically, Joseph has one and a half because Joseph and his son, Manasseh, both have a place within the 12 tribes. Verse 9. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. What does this tell us? that as a result of the unleashing of the 144,000 who have been referred to by many Bible scholars, teachers, as the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 
we see a great number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, which means they've been martyred, they've been beheaded. But what this tells us is there's going to be many more salvations and many more martyrs before the throne of God. And I was thinking about this again the other day. As I've shared with you so many times, I really believe that perhaps the greatest revival in the history of the church will take place right after the rapture. But see, ultimately, God is a God of grace. That was the message in the ministry of Pastor Chuck Smith, above all. And he took flack for it sometimes. He took heat for it because he restored people that others had rejected. By the way, all the hippies. There's a book called Harvest about some of the early Calvary Chapel pastors that came up under Pastor Chuck. Bikers, drug dealers, you name it. And these guys became the first generation pastors for the Calvary Chapel movement. Those that others had rejected, cast off. Pastors, ministers that got in some kind of trouble and other people had written them off. Pastor Chuck took them under his wing. He restored them. He has a commentary on on the book of Romans called The Gospel According to Grace. God's grace is his unmerited favor. It means we don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. But God pours out on his grace. He pours out his grace on all those who are humble before him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So for all those who get uptight, worked up, all you pre-trib rapture people, you're crazy. We're going to be here for the tribulation because we deserve it. I call them the Christian masochists. It's It's no different than the Catholics who flagellate themselves. Jesus was flagellated for you. Jesus took the beating for you. We don't get raptured before the tribulation because we deserve it. We get raptured before the tribulation because that's God's plan. But again, it's also God's grace because as I said last week, I believe, more people will come to Christ by our disappearance than have come to him by our presence. Because sadly, so many times, we don't want to be, we don't intend to be, but because we are not perfect, we are flawed individuals, we are sinners saved by grace, sometimes our presence is more of a hindrance than a help. How many people have been turned off to God because of God's people? It's a a fact. It's not a pretty fact, but it is when when people see the infighting between Christians, right? The church splits, right? I was talking about this with one of my friends the other day, and it started off, we were talking about this in the secular sense, How sometimes, in fact, actually this came from an old video with President Trump many years ago. He was talking to Charlie Rose, and he was talking about how some of the people that he thought were the most loyal turned out to be the ones who turned on him. And others that he didn't think were really all that loyal turned out to be very loyal. And I've experienced the same thing in the church, and it's a sad thing. 
Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. You know, when the church is persecuted from the outside, it just gets stronger. But when there's turmoil and strife and division within the church, it's very destructive. So all that just to say this. What we see here, the 144,000, the Jewish evangelists, and we see multitudes before the throne of God, this is evidence that even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of the outpouring of God's wrath, we also see the outpouring of His grace. So again, my friend and I, we talked about this and we looked at it in the, from the outside of the church realm and then we looked at it within the inside of the church realm. Sadly, it's very similar. Okay, verse 10. So they're before the throne and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And again, as I already mentioned, because of what we've seen in the preceding verses, it's generally understood many scholars and prophecy experts believe these 144th thousand sealed Jews are evangelists sent out by God to witness to his people as well as to the Gentiles. Keep in mind, I've told you this many times, I'll reiterate it again here today. The two main purposes of the tribulation are one, to judge the world, just like God judged the world in the days of Noah, and Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man, and as it was in the days of Lot. Again, that was a judgment on wickedness, the outpouring of God's wrath. So the first reason for the tribulation, seven years, is to judge this world. And secondly, it's to restore Israel into right relationship with God by bringing them to faith in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. All right, Revelation 14, beginning in verse 14. I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. So Jesus is standing there with them. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So this is from chapter 14, about the 144,000. It gives us some further insight or clarification regarding the, the nature, the character of these 144,000. First of all, it says they were given, as it were, a new song. They have a special song. Verse 3, they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So, they're special, they're unique, and they get their own song. They too will be martyred once their job is done here on the earth. They will be celibate. Verse 4, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. 
And that's not a disparaging remark on women. It's just simply that they have been uh, set apart for a higher purpose. Just like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you can remain single, it's better to do so because then you're free to serve God unhindered. That goes for men and women. It's a high calling. Not everyone can. Jesus said, hey, some are born eunuchs, some are made eunuchs, and some become that way for the kingdom of God. But it's a high calling and not everyone can achieve that. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 33. I want you to be without care, says Paul. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And so Paul was just making that point. At the beginning of chapter 7, he says, hey, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. And for the average human being, that's an issue. That's a, that's a struggle. God created us. We have a, a natural, normal, God-given desire to have a helpmeet, to be married. And, of course, the enemy has done everything he could to pollute that and distort that and ruin that. No more so than he has in modern times with all the same-sex marriage, transgenderism, all that stuff is designed to defile the image that God created by one man and one woman coming together. Because we're told in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that the marriage relationship is really a mirror image of our relationship with God, the intimacy that we're to have with God, the closeness. And when we defile the earthly marriage through same-sex marriage and all these other things, we defile that image that God created intended to portray how our relationship with Him should be. When we commit adultery, fornication, homosexuality, any of those deviations defile and blaspheme that image that God created. So, they'll have a new song, a special song. They will be martyred once their job is done here on earth. They will be celibate. They will be 100% sold out and committed to Christ. Verse 4 of chapter 14, Revelation. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Just the opposite of Mary had a little lamb. The lamb would follow Mary, you know, everywhere she went. You know, followed her to school one day, so forth. No, we will follow the lamb, or these guys will in particular, totally sold out to Jesus Christ. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Now let's be honest. That would be, every one of us would have that desire, right? To follow the Lamb wherever He goes. But we don't always do that, do we? In fact, it's sad. A lot of people who identify as believers think that the Lamb is supposed to follow them, right? Come on, Jesus, let's go. No, 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 no. It should be the other way around. And that's how it is for the 144,000. Without hesitation... Without reluctance, as representatives of the one who is the truth, and here's the sixth thing, they will be absolutely truthful and paragons of virtue. 14.5, and in their mouth was found no deceit. I would make the point that these men would appear that they would be men. They will be as close to perfect as is possible for any human being to be. Again, no human being is perfect, but these guys are going to come pretty darn close. 
And it's no wonder that they can and will be used so mightily by God because as we read in verse 5, they are without fault before the throne of God. And we'll pick, we'll pick it up where we leave off here next week. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you. You had a plan today. I had a plan, but you had a plan. Your plan was for me to give this teaching, so we thank you for that. Thank you for the amazing information we're receiving. And Lord, not only are we receiving this information from your word, so much of it we are seeing unfold before our very eyes all around us. And Lord, I know some are worried, some are scared, some are fearful, but we really should be encouraged. We should be excited. What an honor and a privilege to be living in these last days. Lord, these are the days that all the believers longed for for the past 2,000 years. And even beyond that, Abraham looked to a city whose maker and builder was God, a city not made by human hands, the coming city of the new Jerusalem where we will dwell with you for all eternity. Lord, we're living in the very last of the last days, and it's exciting. Help us to maintain a sense of excitement and enthusiasm and encouragement because even though sometimes it looks like the other side is winning, we know who really wins. Lord, you are large and in charge. You're on the throne. You always will be. You will never be dethroned. And very soon we will be ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ for a thousand years here on this earth. Lord, that's more real than anything we see around us right now. So thank you, Father. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Give us strength. Help us to be like Jesus said, as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Lord, please use us as instruments of your grace to reach out to those around us, to show them you're not a God of hate like their God. You're a God of love. You're a God of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, healing, restoration. Lord, please use us in these last days to bring as many as possible to Christ and help us not to look back. Help us to keep our hand on the plow and keep following the Lamb. And before we close, I'm going to ask anyone who needs prayer this morning if you'd raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you, whatever it might be. God knows it could be health, it could be finances, it could be relationships. Father, you see each hand. Lord, that's so awesome. Lord, we have limitations. We are fortunate, Father. We live in a day and age when we can talk to people on the phone, we can text, we can email, we can do all these things, Lord, but none of it compares to you. You're omniscient, you're all-knowing, you're omnipotent, you're all-powerful, you're omnipresent, you're everywhere, and you know each and every heart here this morning. Lord, everyone that's raised their hand, you know exactly what's going on in their lives. So we pray, Father, whatever it is, for those who need physical healing, they need help with health issues, that you would touch them, that you would heal them, that you would strengthen them. And if it's for a friend, family member, a loved one, then we pray for them as well, Lord, because you are not limited by space, by time, by distance. So we lift them all up to you. Lord, for those who need help with strained or broken relationships, that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit and do a work. There could be healing, there could be restoration, there could be forgiveness where needed, and relationships could be strengthened and restored. Father, for financial issues, you are our provider. You promise to provide for our needs to take care of us. Again, I pray for wisdom and guidance because sometimes we get in those situations because of our own bad choices, our own bad decisions, and other times it's nothing that we've done.
But regardless, you are our provider, and I pray that you'd provide for each one that has a need here today. Lord, whatever it is, you know every heart. We lift them up to you, and we thank you that you have heard these prayers. We thank you for your great track record of all the answered prayers, all the testimonies and praise reports that we have shared over the years. So I lift each one up to you now in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord. We praise you for all your blessings, for your goodness to us, and I ask you to receive now our final offering of praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.